We're going to continue our series today on Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn over there. Uh, before we do, I just want to welcome you. You've been welcomed before, and I want to welcome you again, especially if you are new with us today. My name is Cale Courtright. I'm the preaching minister here at Crosspoint. And we are so glad that you are here to worship with us today. You could start your week anyway. We're glad that you started it right here today. And our hope is that the things that we experience in our worship today would extend beyond these walls, would extend beyond this moment. That's our hope and our prayer is that the encouragement that we receive, the challenge that we would take it and live it as we leave here today. You know, we've been, start, we've been in Romans 8, and for a few reasons we're doing Romans 8. One, it's a great passage, and two, it's one of my favorite passages. So I wanted to spend some time there to just help describe how it has shaped me, and hopefully that you'll see how it can form and shape you as well. I said this before, but I want to to say it again. I want you to imagine that you have been summoned to court. Now, just like when you've been speeding and you get pulled over. Now, the officer may ask you, do you know why I pulled you over? And you know why you've been pulled over. You know why you've been summoned to court. You know that you have been found guilty. You know that you have not lived a life worthy of the calling. That you've seen God's laws, this is Romans chapter 7, and realize I cannot live up to that. And so you walk into that courtroom and you know there's only one thing to do. There's only one answer and it happens to be the right answer. Throw yourself at the feet of of the judge. Throw yourself and ask for his mercy and grace. And so you walk into that courtroom and that's what you do. And you hear the words from Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you show up, you arrive there, and you realize that everything that is true about you, you have, it has been paid in full. That you have amassed this debt and that you couldn't pay back, but God says, you know what? It's paid in full because the Spirit lives in you. And if the Spirit is in you, then you are part of the kingdom of God. And you have a place with Him. And so just as Michael read before, that this Spirit leads us to life, not death. That's what we talked about last week, is that the Spirit has set you free. What are you going to do with your freedom? And so Paul's going to continue our encouragement this week. Now, when we read in Romans chapter 8, I love to visualize that this is a group of Christians, that they're sitting around in their church in and around Rome, and they're reading this, and they're, they're trying to take it to heart and wondering how they play this out. I also love that to, to imagine that in this setting, this church setting, that they're talking about what their favorite stories are. Now, we might say stories from the Bible, but they wouldn't have said it that way. What are your favorite stories about being part of God's family? Because, you know, there are Jewish Christians in there. There are also Gentile Christians in there. And I'd love to imagine there are some Gentile Christians that go, I'm new to the family of God. Tell me my story. Tell me, tell me the story of our God before, before I was added to the family. And one of those favorite stories that I can just imagine that those Jewish Christians would say is they would want to tell them the story of the Exodus. Because for the Jew, this is one of the most formative stories that you could have had. Because in most 
every way, this is the origin story of the nation of Israel. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's a book before Exodus. I know that. And in Genesis, you get the story of how God created all things, including how he called the family of God. He called Abram first. And at the end of Genesis, you have the family of God in Egypt. But the formation of the nation of Israel happens in Exodus. See, there's been a new Pharaoh now at the beginning of Exodus. And this Pharaoh was not like the old Pharaoh. He's not kind to the people of Israel, so he enslaved them. So there is a foreign group of people that keep multiplying. And if we don't do something about it, they're going to take over. And so they enslave the people of Israel. This is their story. This is where they came from. As they knew it, they were an enslaved people. What is their story? Well, their story really starts in Exodus chapter 3 when God says this to Moses. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Why was this story so important for them? Why would they remember this story every single year in what they call the Passover festival? Passover is just the moment that they finally get to leave Egypt. Because it's the story of how their God heard their cry and acted on their behalf. Their story of freedom comes from the Exodus story. It's in the same passage when Moses says, okay, well, who do I say sent me? And God says, God gives them his name. He shows that there is this close family relationship that the people, God's people in Genesis didn't know his name, but now in Exodus, they know his name. He says, you tell them, I am who I am. That's who sent me. In Exodus chapter four, God says, when Moses, when you and Aaron go before Pharaoh, you tell him that Israel is my firstborn son. You tell him that the God that created all things, that you're going to see his power, has said that this nation, this is my son. This, they are the heirs of my inheritance. They are, will take part in my kingdom. I will act on their behalf. Why is this story so important? It's the story of a God who hears them, a God who acts for them, and a God who has adopted them into his family. This is an important story for the people of Israel. And it is in that spirit that Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, starting verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. This is your story, church. This isn't God did not call you to enslave you. You're not just changing masters here, but what God is doing is saying, you will be my children. He's calling you 
as sons and daughters. Your name, for all intents and purposes, your name has changed. You bear the name of Christian now. Imagine a world in which when we baptize people, we change their name. So you gave up your last name and anything that it means, and you now bear the name of Christ. Imagine going out into the world and living like that. And that if everyone you knew who was a Christian bore the name of Christ, they do. But imagine if you bore it that way. Because see, your name matters. The name that you have matters. In fact, you have probably have a similar story, but I am the oldest of three brothers. I have two younger brothers. And it's exactly like you think it was. My younger brothers are just, they could be quite annoying growing up, right? Can the older siblings in here say amen? You know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you guys have classes, what you do, but you're very good at it. And, you know, things that would happen in our home, how I might react to the annoyance that my brothers might have been, it's different when we go outside. You know, my, my friends could see the same things in my brothers that I could see. And then sometimes they might speak up and I say, hold on a minute. Now, I can say that, but you can't say that because, see, we share a name. And so the way that I might treat my brother or talk to my brother is not the way that you get to do that because we share a name. What's in a name? Your name makes all the difference, and your name has changed. I think Paul uses this Exodus story Why did I tell you that story? Because Paul uses it. Because he is speaking directly here to both groups, but he wants the Jewish Christians to get this. He wants them to hear their story and how it is changing in this. He talks about being led, being adopted as sons, being set free. This has been their story, but now it's their story in a different way. He uses the story, and he, he uses it not only for the Jewish Christian, but for the Gentile Christian as well, that you have been led by the Spirit of God. You have been adopted as son and as daughter, and you have been set free from the slavery of sin and death. You have your own Exodus story now. And that bears repeating and bears knowing for us. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter the law that was given, whether you could live by that. It matters that the Spirit has been given to you. And you have been called son or daughter. And so you have a new name. You are in a new family now. And we should see it that way. Just as when you get married, you are added to that family. We have been added to the family of God. And when you're added to the family of God, there's a couple things that you have to remember. You get to have all the benefits of the family of God. But you also have all the responsibility as being a member of the family of God. So I want to talk about both for just a few moments. One of the things about being part of the family of God is you are no longer bound by sin and death. You are set free from that. You have no fear of that anymore. But as one biblical writer noted, biblical scholar noted, I should say, the adoptive metaphor is a perfect fit for Paul's theology because adoption bestows a status on the son and daughter to which they have no right, but they receive solely because of the father's decision. Theologically then, Adoption is an act of grace. Just like people you know that have been adopted today, the child has no bearing on this decision. They have no bearing whether or not they are going to be adopted or not. There's no choice in the matter. But the parents say, we want to adopt this child. It's an act of grace. 
So too, God, when he chose you, it's an act of grace on your behalf. See, God chose you before you knew to ask for it. God chose you when you wouldn't have asked for it. God poured out his grace for you and adopted you as sons and as daughters. And he, bear, and he gives you the spirit, which helps you to have this closeness. See, it was always God bridging that gap between us. It was always him who chose us and then also developed that relationship with us. And it's by the Spirit, Paul writes, that we are able to call out to him, Abba, Father. So what he's, I think what Paul's trying to get across to us today is not that you're part of the family, but remember, you need to act in a certain way. You need to kind of you know, keep decorum. You need to make sure that you don't mess anything up. He might cast you out of the house. But Paul's saying, no, no. By the Spirit, the Spirit reminds you that you can call him Abba, Father. See, Abba is this Aramaic word that, that they would have used that denotes this familiarity, this closeness, this affection. It's essentially saying Daddy. And Paul says, you can call him whatever you want. You can go to him whenever you need because he's that close to you. That's one of the benefits as being part of the family of God, is that you have this closeness with him. You have all the rights and privileges as a child of his. And, and we treat our children differently than others, don't we? That they have different rights than other people. I think back to growing up when you would have friends over to your house. There's certain areas of the house that you would make open to anybody, right? You might say, come into the living room, come into the kitchen. You might even let a friend go to your room, but you know where you don't take them? You don't take them to mom's room. <laughs> see, I was taught to close the door. They're not welcome in there. But see, God has told you it's all open to you. Every right as a child has been given to you. You can go wherever you want because you are a child of the king. One of the things he says here that I think we should know is that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, Christ is the true heir. He's the one that, as Paul writes in other places, he lives into this calling. As the son of God, he was obedient to God. But what we shouldn't see is that there is like a, a hierarchy. Now there is, Christ is the head, Christ comes first. But what, what I love is that Jesus comes before the Father. And he has lived in such a way that he has been deemed worthy as the Son. He is the heir of God. But what he says to the Father, he says, Father, I brought, my, I brought my brothers and I brought my sisters with me. These are your co-heirs. We stand before the Father with Jesus. Not because of anything we did, but because Jesus, what he did, and he extends to us. He says, I'm bringing you with me as your brother. You as the brother, you as the sister. Stand before the father because of what he did. And church, this is good news. That we were destined for slavery to sin, but Jesus says, no, you will stand with me as a crowned prince or princess of the king. Now, you enjoy all the benefits of being part of this family, but you also have a responsibility with this family. As Paul wrote in verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings so that we also may share in his glory. 
Now, Jesus lived this life, as I just said. He was obedient to God. He walked the path that God laid before him. And if we are called as his brothers and sisters to walk the same way, to follow him in that. Now, one time, a few years ago, we were in St. Louis for fall break, which around this time of year. And, and I remember being at the hotel and it was a warm day. And so we went out by the pool. And I, I remember bringing a book, just want to hang out by the pool for a little bit. Well, there, there was a family nearby. There was a dad and two sons there enjoying the pool. And I, I think the kids would have been around four, four or five and maybe six or seven young, young boys. And the dad said, hey, you guys hang out here. And I'm going to go inside for just a minute. You guys hang out here. I'm going to go inside for a minute. So the dad goes inside the hotel lobby. And there we are with these, these two boys just hanging out here. Well, the younger brother apparently wasn't listening very well. You know younger brothers. I already mentioned them. But <laughs> just jumps right in the pool. And you go, he looks young, but surely he knows what he's doing. He did not know what he was doing. And so you don't know that for sure. Is, is, he, is this how he swims or does he not know how to swim? You know, one of those moments. And so we're watching, and you know, you start to put the book down, you start to sit up. Am I jumping in the pool right now? And the, the older brother just starts yelling for the dad. Dad, dad. At that point, you know, I better jump in the pool. Well, before I'm able to, the dad, you know, sprints out of the hotel, jumps in, probably has his phone and his wallet on him. He's fully clothed, jumps in the pool, grabs his son. Well, then they, they're breaking it down what happened after that. They're all out of the pool. Everybody's okay. And he's saying... The dad is speaking to the older brother. He says, why didn't you jump in? He says, well, you told me not to. (laughs) And the dad said this. He said, we jump in after our brothers. And church, you're going to be called to jump in after your brother. That Jesus walked a path that that you are going to be called to. We join Jesus in his suffering in two ways. The first is this. The first is that this is why we practice baptism. Because when you practice baptism, you are walking the path to the cross just like Jesus did. Now, we're doing it theologically, spiritually, not physically. But what we do is when we participate in baptism, we're saying we are going to give up our life just like Jesus did for a different life. We are putting ourselves to death just like Jesus did, but we will be resurrected as son and daughter in the kingdom of heaven. So that's why we practice that, to join Jesus in that. Just like he went through that, we go through that. But we also may be called to practically and literally join Jesus in his suffering. Because as we see as Jesus, he went through the crucifixion. He suffered shame, scorn, abuse, and even persecution. And Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Beatitudes, he writes, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, says, look, if you're going to bear my name, if you're going to follow me, you're going to walk the same path that I walked. And for us today, that may not look exactly the same way. It may look like you know, people talking about you in a way that's just not fair. It may be that, that you don't get the promotion that you deserve because you're suffering from some kind of persecution. It may be that you 
literally will be put in situations that you will bear a physical persecution because of who Jesus is. The problem for us today as, as Christians in the United States in 2023 is we want all the benefits of being part of the family of God. We'd really like to miss out on that second part, though. We'd like to miss that. And I think about my children sometimes. And there are sometimes we're saying, it's time to get ready for bed. And my son will say to me, he'll say, but dad, my friends get to stay up later than I do. And I'll say, their last name isn't Courtright. <laughs> they don't live here. So you have all the benefits of living here, but you also have the responsibility of living here. If we are going to faithfully follow our brother, then it might mean that we are led to some difficult places. But we want all those benefits. Jesus says, then follow me as I follow God. This is who we are called to be. Now, as I said earlier, I think you have been summoned to a courtroom. That, that you know you've got to show up. And you know exactly what it's for. You're guilty. You know that you haven't lived according to the calling. And that, that you're just hopeful that if you throw yourself at the feet of the mercy of the judge, that everything will be okay. And I think, imagine for a minute that this is what happens. That you show up at that courtroom. And you say, I need mercy. And, and our father, the judge, says, hold on a minute. This is not where you, you're not in the place you think you're in. So you think this is some kind of criminal court. This is, this is a court of adoption. You've been summoned to court because your father is calling you as son and daughter. And he's saying, I want, I'm calling you to be added to my family. It does not matter what's in your past. It does not matter who your parents were. All that matters is that you say yes to being part of the family of God. This is, this is the place that you've been called, church. He wants to add you to his family. So as we close today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. We want to invite you to prayer to join them. And maybe today, I know today there are some of you who have not said yes to accepting the invitation to be part of the family of God. I know that, that God the Father, that God the Son, and God the Spirit is standing outside your door asking you, knocking, saying, say yes today. Don't live this other way any longer. Say no to the flesh and yes to my spirit. Say yes to being part of the family of God. It's the best decision you'll ever make. For the rest of us today, you need the reminder of who you are. You need the reminder of what your name is. Because you bear the name of Christ everywhere you go. And so you do so with all the benefits, all the rights and privilege as a son or daughter of the king. But you're also called to live up to that family name. Some of you today might need prayers to live into that. As we close today... We're going to pray together. This prayer that comes from, from a song called Adopted. It's written by probably the most prolific hymn writer in history, Fanny Crosby. And this today I want to be your prayer as we close. So if you would please stand and say these words with me. I am adopted, O wonderful love, heir to a heritage purchased above. Tell it my soul and joyfully sing. I am a child and an heir of a king.